Just a special thank you to Josh uh, Jones for his sharing last week and uh, appreciated his message a great deal and I'm sure you did as well. So as you know, we were uh, on a bit of a vacation last week. We left uh, the week before on Mother's Day right after service and, and headed north. And so uh, the family has not celebrated Mother's Day yet. Uh, with Cindy and, and her birthday happened to be last a week ago Friday on the 13th and so family's not celebrated her birthday yet and uh, my youngest daughter uh, has a birthday this next week uh, she'll be 34 uh, I was 11 when she was born <laughs> but uh, we haven't celebrated her birthday yet so that's all happening today uh, we're gonna gather as a family and uh, we're going to have a meal together, and we're going to celebrate those special events. And, and I only bring that up because uh, those are times for me that there's a lot of laughter, and there's a lot of joking, and, and there's a lot of hugs and I love yous that are exchanged as we, we don't see each other all that often. And, and I'm just looking forward to that. And I mention it because these are occasions, these are times in my life that I experience the feelings of joy. In a world that we now occupy, it seems that genuine joy is more and more difficult to come by. That, that feeling of, of even happiness is, is difficult as we watch the news or as we have those struggles. We look around at Satan's attacks and you know we've, we've already prayed over some of those issues in our, our bulletin that we list week after week of families that are, are experiencing illness or families that are experiencing financial stress, or, or even some family conflict. And it can tend to get us a bit discouraged. Watching the news also uh, may, may put our focus on things that cause negative responses rather than on joy. And you know what? Listen, that's exactly what Satan wants to have happen. That's exactly what Satan wants to have happen. Satan's purpose is to rob our joy. Satan's purpose is to rob from us those things that would bring us and, and elevate that joy in our lives. And so we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't give in to his work. We need to be careful that, that we don't allow the struggles of this life to shift our attention away from God and his promises and, and to shift them then away from our source of joy. It doesn't have to happen. There is a better way. What if I told you this morning that we have a foolproof method that we can employ in our life that will guarantee we will have complete joy at all times? What if, what if I told you that I give you a 100% guarantee that your life can be joyful every moment of every day and it won't even cost you five easy payments of 1995. But it will cost you something. It will cost you something. If you agree to this deal, it's going to cost you the fear that Satan tries to use to defeat us. If you agree to this deal, it's going to cost you the anger and the frustration that sometimes are the reaction in the pain, to the pain in our lives. 
If you agree to this deal this morning, it's going to cost you your hold on trying to be the one to fix all of the stuff that happens in our life that robs us of joy. We're going to have to give those things up. But what you purchase with the payment of those things, what you purchase with, with giving up those negative responses that I just listed is complete joy. Are you interested? Are you interested in, in making that deal? Are you interested in trading your pain for God's joy? If you are, I, I just encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 John. We're going to get to it in just a few moments, but I want you to have it open. 1 John, now this is not the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is kind of at the beginning of uh, the New Testament. This is those three little letters that are way at the end, just before Revelation and Jude. So right, right almost at the end of the New Testament. There are three little letters that were written by the same man that wrote the Gospel of John, the same man that wrote Revelation. Okay, the, but, but these letters are letters that were written to the church. They're letters that were written to believers. And we're going to spend just a, a few weeks over the next uh, early part of summer just unpacking these three letters and looking at what it is that God offers to us. His purpose is to encourage the body of Christ while also assuring that we understand God's purpose for his followers. Now, John was unique amongst the, the writer of these letters. He was unique amongst all of the apostles. And we've talked about this before, but, but the apostles uh, were all martyred. They were all uh, killed for their faith, except for John. John is the only apostle that uh, we don't have any record that he was martyred for his faith. Now, there might be several reasons for that. We don't know all of God's thinking. Uh, one of those reasons may have been that if you remember Jesus on the cross, he looked down at John and, and he said, John, take care of mom. Take care of my mother. And so there was a time period that, that John had the responsibility of caring for Mary. And so that might have been one of the reasons that God spared his life. We also know that John uh, was exiled to the island of Patmos, and that's where God gave him the revelation. And so uh, that could have been part of the reason as well that, that he wasn't martyred. But one of the things that comes from that is that John uh, lived to be an, an older man. And, and one of the benefits of him living to be an older man is that when he writes these letters, he writes them very late in his life. And so we have a, a, a collection, if you will, of the wisdom of a godly man, of a man that, that Jesus loved. We're going to talk about that in a moment a little more. But we've got the wisdom that's been collected from this man and, and put in these letters, written to the church, written to you and I, and, and kind of from the grandfatherly perspective, if you will. It's like a, a grandfather sitting down with his grandchildren and sharing his wisdom. And I, I've therefore entitled this series, That You May Know. John writes us, that you may know, that you might understand, that we might understand those things that God has to offer to us simply because we are his children. Before the, the Apostle Paul gets into the heart of the issues that he wants to discuss, he lays out a foundation for us in these first four verses of his letter. Everything that he'll teach us in this letter, whether it be encouragement, whether it be a, a sense of hope, or even at times he gets a little challenging. 
He, he gives us some things that might seem a little difficult for us to do. Every single word of these three letters is intended to help us understand the gift of joy. They're intended to help us understand that that is something that we can actually have in our lives. So that's where he starts. He, he's laying the footing, the foundation, giving us the opportunity to begin with the assurance that we will be people that not only understand joy, but people who can grasp and, and hold on to it even in the midst of storms, even in the midst of difficulty. So if you've got that open, look at uh, 1 John chapter 1 with me. It says this, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen, which are with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, uh, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. It's our goal this morning to discover that we may spend our entire lives searching for joy, only to discover that God has made it easily available. And not only is it available, but that joy is, in God's definition, complete. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for uh, this opportunity this morning to grab hold of, uh, of an amazing truth, to grab hold, Father, of, of that promise, that offer that you make to us. Lord, Satan's not going to be happy. Uh, we're, we're walking into some of his territory that, that he wants to claim in our lives and, and to bring us that frustration and that fear. And so I pray against that this morning. I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might be able to, to resist anything that Satan does to distract us during these few moments or to take from us that gift of joy that you so freely offer us. Pray that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. The first important fact that, that John teaches us is that complete joy is found in the word of life. Complete joy is found in the word of life. We'll talk about what that means here in just a second. Look at verse 1 again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. We need to begin this discussion with an understanding that joy, true joy, is not based on our circumstances. We talk about that a lot. True joy is not based on our circumstances. By the way, I want us to, to fully grasp what God is offering to us this morning. We're not talking about just the absence of conflict. We cannot control all of what life throws at us. We're not uh, in a place to, to have authority over illness or financial setbacks. Or we're, we can't change all the struggles in our nation. We can't uh, do anything about the disappointment that other people may bring into our lives. But we can control our reaction to those things. We can control how we respond. We can control how much of a foothold we allow Satan to have through those distractions. 
Biblical joy is simply a calm and a peace that rests on us even as the struggles of this life swirl all around us. It's a calm knowing that I'm safe. Knowing that there's nothing that does not come into my life or nothing that, that comes into my life that does not pass through the hands of God. This is an amazing gift. This is an amazing gift that God offers to his church. He offers to us this morning. John's encouragement on this matter is clear. The only way to maintain an attitude of joy is in the heat of the struggle is to keep our focus clearly on Jesus. To keep our eyes up. To keep our focus on Jesus. When you hear this truth, now I want to give just a little warning here. When you hear this truth, you may be tempted to, to sit back and think, you know that, I've got that one licked, right? I know who Jesus is. I, I understand what, what that means. I, I sing the songs about him. I, I praise him. I worship. I, I celebrate his birth and his death and his resurrection. I've received Jesus as my Savior. And those are all wonderful things and necessary things. But is he the focus of who you are? Is he the focus of who you are? You want to test, a little, a little test to, to kind of check that out? It's a simple one. It's a simple test. The answer to that question is, is Jesus the focus of who you are is this? Do you have complete joy in your life in every circumstance? If the answer is yes, then you have gotten your focus on Christ. If your answer is no, there's some things that are sneaking in the back door. There's some things that you're allowing to, to push Christ out of the way. And so we're going we're, we're gonna to kind of grab hold of what that means this morning and how we can uh, kind of work through that. The word of life that he talks about in verse 1 is simply a reference, obviously, to Jesus. In the Gospel of John, I mentioned that a few moments ago, same John that wrote the, these letters. In the Gospel of John that, that he wrote, he makes this very clear. In the first chapter of verse 1, and then again in verse 14, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this also ties in, and, and we'll talk about how in a second here, to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want us to, to put all that together just real quickly this morning. John says at the beginning of his gospel that, it, that the word in the beginning was the word. And of course, the word there defined for us in verse 14 is Jesus. So in the beginning is Jesus. Genesis tells us that God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. So that, that, that's the picture that God and Jesus are one, the Godhead, they, that, that Jesus is in fact God. And then we get to this letter, and it begins that which is from the beginning. It, it just kind of ties all of that together, and that, that the one that we are called to make our focus, that word of life, is God himself. God himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. This line of identification is so, so important that you and I have the opportunity through our faith in Christ 
to align our lives with the creator of the universe, to the sustainer of all things. What a deal. We can choose, remember we talked about this at the beginning, we can choose to, to grab hold and hang on to that fear. We can choose to, to hang on to the disappointments, to the uncertainty, or we can turn our focus to the one who is so powerful that in a single word spoke the, the world into existence. I think the choice is easy this morning. In his introduction of Jesus, John is very clear that this all-powerful creator, this provider of our salvation, has not only done all of these things for us, but he's made himself knowable to us. We can know him. We can understand him. God didn't simply send a message about this wonderful opportunity known as Jesus. Jesus became flesh and lived with us. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. In other words, he's saying you can experience, you can have a relationship with this God. And this experience, he says, is our source of life. Notice that Jesus is not described as the word that explains life, nor is he described as, as the word that, that kind of patches up the problems of our life. He is the word of life. In other words, everything that exists, everything that, that makes up our being, everything that, that brings us those joy pieces is provided through Jesus. He is that life. The truth of this for you and me is that in Jesus we find the true meaning of our existence. Living in his kingdom and, and seeking his righteousness is the only way of discovering what true joy looks like. In the beginning, man was created to experience complete fellowship with God. Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve walked with God. They, they had that daily, consistent relationship with God, but sin broke that. Sin got in the way, and, and, and you remember from Genesis 3 that, that Adam and Eve, as soon as they knew that they had broken the command of God, they did what? They hid. And God said, where did you go? What, what's happened here? That relationship was severed. But that doesn't stay that way. If we choose a relationship with Jesus Christ, that broken relationship came with a loss of joy, and it came with a loss of peace. When we experience Jesus in his fullness. When we accept that gift of salvation, that's restored. That perfect relationship, that ability to walk with God is restored. And with it comes the gift of joy and comes the gift of peace. It is then up to us to choose if we're going to live with this as our focus or if we're going to allow Satan to place our attention on the pain and the struggles of this world. Last week, if you were here or if you listened online, Josh gave us some very practical steps that we can use to assure our focus stays where it needs to be. And he challenged us with this. Don't be just hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. In other words, understand the promise, but accept the promise. Understand the call to, to spend time in the Word, to spend time seeking this Jesus, seeking this relationship that can grow and expand. Don't just know that it's available, but, but grab hold of it. And in that process, we grab hold of joy. This leads us then 
to an understanding that complete joy is found in our hope of eternity. Complete joy is found in our hope of eternity. Look at verse 2 with me, if you will. Verse 2 says this, the, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. The reality of the life that Jesus brings is that it culminates in an eternity in God's presence. Now, we live right now, if you're a Christ follower, you live in the kingdom of God. Scripture is very, very, very clear on that. You live in the kingdom of God. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And, and just like a, a foreigner that might move to a, a foreign land, you need to decide if you're going to adapt to that culture or if you're going to hang on to your old culture. God calls us to adapt to the culture of being citizens of heaven, which means we shut the door on those attempts of Satan to, to rob us of joy. And we keep our focus on the one who is the king of that kingdom that we are now a part of, the reality of the life that Jesus brings is that hope of eternity. Again, this is a truth that we know, but it's a focus that can change our lives. The truth of our destiny in Jesus is not based on a mystical belief and, and some aura that appears now and, and then. And it's based on the truth that God provided through Jesus. John is testifying that this truth is one to which he was an eyewitness. This is important. These are not words that John's giving us just simply from, from some theory or, or, or maybe hearsay. John experienced this. He experienced this one who provides eternal life. John spoke to him and, and he heard his words. He ate with Jesus. He stood by his side when he, he raised the dead and when he healed the sick. He looked up at, at the dying Jesus on the cross, and he saw them put his body in the tomb. He was one of the first to, to go in and, and realize the tomb was empty, and to realize that what Jesus had promised to do in his resurrection is exactly what took place. He spent time with the resurrected Christ. He was known as the disciple that Jesus loved. He was one of the inner circle. John speaks now to us from his experience, from not just hearsay, but an understanding that what this man says he can do, what Jesus claims to be is exactly who he is. John's giving us an eyewitness account that this eternal one has done everything necessary to assure my eternity and to assure your eternity. So what does that have to do with me living a life of joy? It is this truth that this life and all the struggles that Satan throws our way are just a blip on the radar screen of eternity. This truth is not minimizing the pain of this life. We will still see that, that Jesus is concerned about our everyday stuff and, and through his Holy Spirit provides comfort and provides peace for that. But ultimately, those experiences aren't going to matter. Ultimately, those experiences aren't going to matter. Why? Because we're going to stand in the presence of a holy God. The greatest enemy that Satan could come up with to defeat us is death. And Jesus walked out of the tomb and he conquered death. Death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? It's gone. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. And so we don't have to fear death. 
We don't have to, to give in to anything that Satan can throw at us. Why? Because the worst he can do has already been defeated by Christ. Paul says it best when he reminds us that to be absent from this life is to be present with our Lord. Our joy is in this truth. I want you to imagine with me, and, and I'm going to say right out of the blocks, this is totally fictitious, it never can happen, okay? But I want you to imagine with me that, that you uh, contribute to the stock market, you invest in the stock market, and, and you have been given, and you can rely on this, but you've been given a 100% guarantee that no matter what happens in the stock market, at the end of the year, your value is going to raise by $1 million. It can't, it can't not happen. It's going to, to happen. It's guaranteed. If that were true, and you woke up tomorrow morning and the stock market had, had dropped a little bit, poof, so what, right? I've got my guarantee. So what? That's not a big deal. You'd sit back and you'd relax, knowing that in the end, you're going to be the winner. Now listen to this. While this financial guarantee could never be given, the truth of eternity cannot be taken away. The truth of our eternity, the guarantee of our eternity cannot be taken away. It's based on the power of the Creator God. If tomorrow doesn't go as planned, if tomorrow's one of those, those rough days or, or next week's one of those rough weeks, we can still have joy. Why? Because we are the winner. We're not the winner of a, a mere pittance of a million dollars, but we're the winner of all the riches of heaven. We're joint heirs with Christ. And that is the source of joy. We, we focus on that. We focus on not only who Christ is, but we focus on what he's done. And the encouragement of this promise is increased. When we grasp that complete joy is found in sharing this hope. We have the opportunity as a body of Christ to enjoy this hope together. We share this truth. Look at verse 3 with me. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. To help us maintain this joy in the middle of the struggles of this life, God has given us an amazing gift. He's given us the gift of each other, the, the ability to share the joy of his presence with other people. The word fellowship that, that's here in this passage is for some that, that know a little bit about the Greek language, it's a very familiar word, it's koinonia. And, and that's a really interesting word, it's a great word. This is not a fellowship that simply means it's a, a group of people who are all in the same place at the same time. It's far deeper than that. Koinonia involves a, a shared experience, a partnership, having something deeply in common. By sharing life together around the common bond of our hope in Jesus, we can kind of hold each other up. It, it's a picture, I love this. It's a picture uh, of soldiers on the battlefield that stand back to back. One is here looking out. One is here looking out. They have, in the parlance of uh, military, they have each other's six. They have each other's back. There's no enemy that can come at them without being seen. 
And that's the picture of koinonia. That's a picture of the body of Christ, the fellowship. But I don't want you to miss the truth at the end of this verse. This fellowship group, this koinonia, includes some pretty heavy hitters. What's it say? Our fellowship includes God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. What a plan. God has thought of everything so that the stress of this life will not get the better of us. When we struggle, we go to our support group, and, and that includes the body of Christ, not just our local body, but God provides his church. And, and we find believers in many places that can lift us up and help us in that journey with Jesus. But as wonderful as the body of Christ is, sometimes people fail. Sometimes people let us down. Why? Because they're human. But God has covered this as well. Since our support team is not just the body of Christ, but includes the ones who will never fail, God the Father and Jesus his Son. Our Christian relationships are triangle. Go ahead and pop that up there, if you will, Wes. As we grow closer to God, we grow closer to each other. And as we grow closer to each other, we go closer to God. And, and the upside of that is when it works perfectly, we not only have this fellowship with each other, but we have this fellowship with God that we share with each other. But if one of those doesn't rise on that triangle, where are we still headed? Still headed toward God, the one that never fails. So that fellowship that God gives us, that, that ability to, through his Holy Spirit, to understand who he is and understand his word, gives us that opportunity for joy. As amazing as this truth is, with God there's always more. We see this when, when he reminds us that complete joy is found in his written word. Complete joy is found in his written word. Look at verse 4 with me. We write this to make our joy complete. We are brought back to where we started. The word of life that perfect source of joy has been revealed and affirmed for us in the written word of God. Remember, uh, Jesus with God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus left, he said, that's a good thing because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and he's going to be God in you. The presence of, of God's Holy Spirit, Pentecost, we talked about earlier. That's that, that sending of the Spirit to live in each believer. And the written word is God for us. That ability to go back and be reminded of that word of life and what that means and who he is. Not just from time to time, but every moment of every day we have access to being reminded of, of all we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. On our recent trip, Cindy and I uh, had some really fun experiences. And we can go back and we can replay those memories in our mind and we talk about them and we've told some of the stories to, to some of you and some of our family. But that, that's going to fade over time. However, we were able to save some of those memories by taking pictures. And as we review those pictures, it refreshes the memories and, and it brings back those experiences and, and gives them new life. That's the value of the written word of God. It's like a, a snapshot of who Christ is. That any time we can open the word and we can be reminded of the power of God. 
We can be reminded of the, of the presence of God. We can be reminded of the promises of God. God gives us this experience with Jesus and the hope that he provides through an act of faith when we receive him as Savior. But spending time in his scriptures allows us to refresh and increase our understanding of who Jesus is and the hope that he brings, and that increases our joy. From cover to cover, this book is a revelation of God's love. I want to say that again. From cover to cover, this book is a revelation of God's love. You see it even in his judgment. You see it even in, in those times when he has to, to, to punish or, or challenge some of his people. He does it for their benefit. He does it to draw them back from their, their sin and, and draw them to a safer place. It's where we touch and see and hear Jesus. It's where we experience the fellowship of God, the Father, and the Son. It's where we understand God's instructions for how we interact with each other to fulfill his purpose of fellowship. It's where we affirm that complete joy can be found only in Jesus. As Christ followers, the only possible reason that we don't have complete joy in our lives is that we've been looking for it in the wrong place. The only possible reason that we don't have complete joy in our life is that we've been depending on the wrong things. If I look to people to bring my joy, I'm going to be disappointed. If I look to my health to, to bring me joy, I'm going to be let down. If I look at, at my financial investments to, to, to look at that number and, and see joy, that's going to break my heart. If I look at this government if I look at the world and say, somehow you have to, to provide joy for me, I'm going to lose. If I look to Jesus and make him the focus of everything that I am, I win. I win. We must choose to move our search from this life and the people and the situations that sometimes prove unreliable and instead focus on those things that God has provided as our source of joy. By doing that, we free God's hand to move the veil away from our eyes and reveal to us what complete joy can actually look like. I want that for us. I want that for, for me. I want that for the body of Christ. I want that as a church, that we can be known as people of joy. Will you stand with me quietly? Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the challenge, the hope, the encouragement. Father, what a simple, simple task. Lord, simply to focus on you, focus on your promises, to focus on those things that will take our minds off from the struggles of this life and put them squarely on your shoulders. Father God, I pray today for the body of Christ at Murray. I pray for those, Father, that are struggling with life situations. Lord, so many of us. I pray, Father, for those that uh, are hurting today. And I pray against those things. Lord, I, I don't want to just accept that and say that's, that's part of life and move on. I, I pray against those and pray that you would bring healing. But, Father, I ask most of all in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that fear and frustration that we would look to you 
the author and the finish of our faith, that we would look to you, the creator God, and that we would find in you the joy that overrides everything else that our life brings. Father, grant that to us today. Lord, as we go back into life and back into the situations of this world, I just pray, Father, that we go with a new attitude and a new heart that allows you to provide for us that peace and that calm that comes only from you. I pray that in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.